This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most heinous, the most newsworthy homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season three, relationship murders, or husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend type murders are discussed and profiled. On this episode, Maryland fugitive Badresh Kumar Shitsambhav Patel is profiled and the unsolved homicide of 17-year-old transgender Bailey Reeves is examined. In the United States, the way people get married is usually like this. Two people meet, either they meet in person, they meet online, or they meet through other people or whatever. They hook up, they get to know each other, and if they like each other, and eventually, if they love each other, they usually get married. That's not how marriages are done in India. According to culturalindia.net, the family, usually the father, they pick a man for his daughter to marry. Like, a father could offer his daughter up to a dude who he thought was worthy or deserving of his daughter. And the daughter or bride, she had basically no say whatsoever in who she marries or who she's supposed to spend the rest of her life with. Forget about love or compatibility or if y'all can get along or whatever, that goes out the window. I mean, a wife learns how to get along with her husband, simply put. And it ain't no long drawn out dating or courtship courtship process either. After a few months of both the bride's family and the groom's family meshing together and blending and becoming as one big unit and combining both families, there's a big ass wedding and then boom, you're married. The wife's role is basically to please her husband, raise kids, keep the house clean, and she is judged basically on how good those skills are. Throw in, she gotta be a good cook too, but you get the picture. Maybe and perhaps this rigid and outdated culture was the foundation for the marriage between 24-year-old Badresh Kumar Shetampam Patel and his young wife, 22-year-old Palak Patel. Both born and raised a world away from the United States and India, the couple got married in 2015 in a planned and arranged marriage that apparently Palak didn't like. Shortly after they got married, Badrash, who did have family in the United States and New Jersey, 
he moved his new wife almost 8,000 miles away to a whole new country where she knew no one. Nobody. I mean, they were only supposed to visit his family and come back home to Indiana, just basically announce their marriage and everything. But the two ended up completely moving in with Bad Rush's family in New Jersey and then on to their own place in Hanover, Maryland, where they got jobs working at a Dunkin' Donuts store. And the Dunkin' Donuts store that they worked at was owned by one of Bad Rush's family members. So Bad Rush was cool with all this. I mean, he was close to at least some of his family out in Maryland and in New Jersey. He had a good life. He had a job. He was the boss. He had a new wife. He had new surroundings. He had it made. But his wife, Palette, she wasn't happy at all. She was like, you know what? What a culture shock in the United States. They dress different. They look different. They act different. I don't, I'm not feeling none of this. And she wanted to go back to India where her family lived. Now, when an Indian couple gets married, there's supposed to be some type of unity between both families and both families are required to blend together as it is in their Indian culture. They're supposed to mesh together and, you know, become one. But completely leaving a country that you're used to to adapt to the ways and lifestyle and atmosphere of a whole other country, especially with a dude who you probably didn't even know all that well, probably don't even like all that good, and then you gotta pretend to be good with all that, slap an Elvis glue smile on your face all at the same time? That's a lot to ask of a person, married or not, wife or not. And Palak was miserable and she wanted to go home, whether there's a ring on her finger or not. So on the night of April the 12th, 2015, a little after 9 p.m., Bad Rush and Palak were working in the Dunkin' Donuts store when tensions boiled over. Palak had been on her cell phone complaining to her parents about how miserable she was and how they were only supposed to come stay in United States for a short time and how they were supposed to come back home, you know, back to India, but Bad Rush wanted to stay in the United States. So perhaps she told her parents that she was leaving anyway, with or without her prearranged husband. Perhaps she told them that this was 2015 and she wasn't going to spend her life with a man she barely knew in a strange new country. Dunkin' Donuts surveillance cameras, they show the married couple arguing in the back of the store. Bad Rush is shown on the cameras walking away from Palak, holding her cell phone as if like he snatched it out of her hand or something. And they're walking around the store arguing. So she follows him, probably saying, you know, give me back my phone. And she follows him away from the view of the cameras and behind some stacking shelves that's in the back of the store. It's the last time Palak is seen on camera. A few minutes later, Bad Rush is seen on camera walking away from the rear of the store, from the rear behind the stacking shelves, 
with a big kitchen knife in his hands. He walks over to an oven in the store, turns it off, and walks away out of the view of the cameras, alone. He then walks out the store, walks over to their apartment, grabs some personal stuff like his ID, his cash, his cell phone, clothes or whatever, and caught a cab in front of a Rundle Mills mall and rode for more than two and a half hours to New Jersey where he paid cash for a room and well paid cash for a hotel room and checked into a hotel in Newark, New Jersey. The next morning, around 10 a.m., he took the hotel shuttle bus to Newark Penn Station and hasn't been seen since. He's straight dipped, straight banished, and been long gone. Meanwhile, back at the Dunkin' Donuts, after Pallock was killed, customers started coming in the Dunkin' Donuts and started wondering why nobody was coming out to serve them and why the drive through line was piling up outside. They waited a few minutes and one of the customers went over to a police officer who was parked right next door and who was sitting in his patrol car writing a report on an unrelated matter. They complained to the police that nobody was serving them, the register had been left all unattended and something just ain't feel right. So the Anne Arundel County police officer decided to see what was going on and at around 10 p.m., the officer walked around to the back of the store. After he entered through the back, he found Pallock's body lying in a pool of her own blood. Pallock had been brutally beaten and stabbed numerous times with a large kitchen knife, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. By the time the homicide detectives looked at the store's surveillance cameras to try to figure out what had happened, they realized who Pallock's killer was, and Badrush was long gone and on his way to New Jersey. The cab driver that drove him out to New Jersey later told the police that Badrush seemed calm, he seemed normal, and he seemed like nothing was out of the ordinary or strange with him on the two and a half hour drive. After Badrush went on the run and he wasn't bound and especially like nothing happened and the de detectives realized that they were dealing with a murderer who had family connections in Canada, he had family connections in India, he had connections in New Jersey, he had connections in Kentucky, connections in Georgia and Illinois. On April 18th, 2017, Bad Rush was added to the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. He was put on the no-fly list. A billboard with his picture was put on display in Times Square in New York City, and a $100,000 reward was offered for his capture. So far, the FBI have had some leads, but nothing solid, and still no arrests. The FBI think he's either still in the United States with relatives who are helping him out, or he could have made it out of the country to India, despite all of the travel restrictions that this man has had put on him. Badrash did have a visa to be in the United States at the time he was killed. I mean, at the time that he killed his wife, but the visa had expired. 
and both he and his wife were due to return back to India. Charged with first and second degree murder, first and second degree assault, and a weapons offense, weapons offense. if confronted by anyone, Bedrush should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. Now, the reason why this murder is notorious in murder in Maryland, simply for the fact that um, he's on the FBI 10's most wanted fugitives list, and a lot of people don't even know that. A lot of people from Maryland is like, who is this dude? I never even heard of him. You know, a stabbing in a Dunkin' Donuts is not necessarily an uncommon thing in Maryland, but the reason what made him so notorious is the fact that, like I said, He's on the FBI 10's most wanted fugitives list, and there's a high pro- probability that he's not going to be found. Let's just keep it real. I mean, the man got connections all over the place. He can easily, if the, the photos that are placed on uh, the TikTok account of this uh, of this podcast, he can change his identity numerous times. Um, he looks different in each picture. Um... He stabbed his wife like it was nothing and beat her because he was embarrassed or didn't want to, he was concerned about what it was going to look like if she went home without him. You know, they, that Indians, first off, they don't snitch on each other, which is why I believe that this man is never going to be found. He's already been profiled on America's Most Wanted and everything. And guess what? He's still not found. Um, this is a, let me see this happened in 2015. This is a seven-year-old crime, and he's not found. I don't believe he's in the United States. This man is probably in India somewhere or in Canada somewhere. Who knows? Um, It was just easy for him to get away. He killed this lady, killed this wife, and dipped. He didn't think about it. He had no plan. He probably didn't even plan to do it. He just knew how to do what he had to do and get away quick. And before I go any further... I, I have to mention that, um, you know, there is a $100,000 reward for his capture. And if seen, you should contact your local, if he is seen anywhere, you should contact your local FBI or your nearest American embassy office. And in, in Maryland, the local FBI's number is 410-265-8080. If you see this dude... You could possibly be $100,000 richer because they want him bad. Um, I felt like he killed her because, like I said, he was embarrassed that she wanted to leave him. She probably didn't even like him. If This was an arranged marriage. I mean, I understand that people are trying to keep the, the, divorce, rate round, the divorce rate down. and But how can your parents pick who you... That how their daughter wants to be with that's weird and how their son who their son wants to be with when they don't even know I think that's just you know this is the repercussions of probably an arranged marriage I hate to say that um, the wife doesn't have a say in who she wants to be with just because this dude seems like he could be a good person for their daughter or whatever look look what happened you know he's never going to get caught those Indians don't snitch on each other and even if he did get caught, would he be tried in the United States? Or would he be tried in India? I mean, that's a question for legal expert experts. Um, I just don't see this guy getting caught any, anywhere. I feel sorry for uh, his wife, who 
simply just wanted to go home. How would you feel if all of a sudden, you know, from our listeners that's in the United States, you know, you got married and you had to pick up and all of a sudden, boom, you're in India somewhere or you're in uh, Dubai somewhere or Egypt and you have to adapt to their customs, their cultures, their holidays and just forget about everything and you think you're going over there just to meet your husband's family come to find out he's like guess what we staying over here you might as well get jobs you know forget the jobs that you had forget the life that you had this is what you have to do how would you feel you know she ended up dying for that so it's just <laughs> i just i would be surprised if this if bad rush is ever caught um if he is i'm quite sure that would be that would be newsworthy in maryland but until then, um, he's going to continue his life on the run. For this season, season three, each unsolved homicide will profile a victim who was transgender. While conducting my research on unsolved homicide victims in Maryland, I was completely shocked, completely in awe, completely surprised by the number of victims who were transgender and where absolutely no investigation was done. No questioning of witnesses, no questioning of family members, no questioning of friends, no DNA testing, nothing was done. You know, detectives, police, everybody just assumed that, oh, this person was tricking, they was living a double life, they was doing this, they deserved it, you know, that's, it just seems like that's the reasoning on the logic that was behind a numer, you know, a, a number of these, these, these homicides, you know, even if that were true, even, even if every single, you know, even if that were true, every single victim with a beating heart deserves justice. You know, every member of their victim's family deserves justice and they deserve answers to who murdered their loved ones. So for this season, season three, the spotlight on all of the unsolved homicides that are profiled on this, uh, on Maryland's most notorious murders, the victims were transgender. On this episode, the unsolved shooting murder of 17-year-old Bailey Reeves is profiled. Labor Day weekend is usually spent in Baltimore with people celebrating the end of summer with fireworks, cookouts, drinks, smoking, parties, you know. And the weekend of Monday, Labor Day, September the 2nd, 2019, proved to be just like any other Labor Day weekend in Baltimore City. On this Labor Day weekend in Bodymore Murderland, five people got shot in the heart of the city in just one day two of the shootings were fatal. 17-year-old Bailey Reeves had spent the day celebrating the festivities at a Labor Day cookout party with friends and had started walking home with friends, the same friends, in the 4500 block of Parkview Avenue in Northeast Baltimore a little after 8 p.m. Suddenly, out of nowhere shots rang out and Bailey was hit several times in the upper torso out of all the friends 
Bailey was the only one hit. A 16-year-old later told reporters for the Baltimore Sun that she heard three gunshots and a girl screaming, my friend, someone help my friend, call 911. The teenager then went outside and saw Bailey lying in the sidewalk in the middle of Parkwood Avenue in a pool of blood. The teenager called 911 and when the paramedics and Baltimore City Police responded to the scene, Bailey was transported to John Hopkins Hospital where the senior in high school later died. Bailey, who her family described as a brilliant, creative, vibrant, one-of-a-kind soul with so much passion for life, had started identifying or coming out as transgender to her family when she was 13 years old. Her family told reporters for the Baltimore Sun that Bailey loved to debate with people and she wanted to go to college to become either a lawyer or to become a doctor. She also loved fashion and she loved to do hair. Bailey also reportedly was a natural comedian, a very funny person who often went to the DC Pride Parade and festivals in Washington, DC and she was very active in an LGBTQ community, according to an article in Zora.medium.com. Her brother, who also went to the same cookout that same day that Bailey went, but he left an hour earlier, he commented to reporters that she was a person who lived her life to the fullest. Her brother had been home eating dinner when he got a call that his sister was shot and he needed to get to John Hopkins Hospital immediately. That Friday, a candlelight vigil was held for Bailey at the Why Not Lot in Baltimore City at the corner of North Avenue and Charles Street where about 50 people showed up to show support and honor Bailey's life where they sung the song, Lean On Me and held hands. It could have been any one of us. There is a lot of violence in Baltimore towards transgender people. The violence is repeated over and over again. That's what the events organizer said in a comment to the press. She also said that the first step to fighting violence is unity. According to Baltimore City homicide detectives, because the shooter appeared to have taken a shot more than a block away from where Bailey was shot, they don't think that she was targeted or shot simply because she was transgender. And despite Bailey being shot in front of witnesses, the police still don't have a single suspect, a single clue, a single lead. And they are offering a $4,000 reward for any information that will lead to the arrest and conviction of a suspect for this particular homicide. So people, if you have any information at all that can lead to the arrest or conviction in this homicide, please call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100 or 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also submit a tip online 
at www.metrocrimestoppers.org or you can submit a text to 443-402-4824. You can remain anonymous, people. Again, I mean, she was shot in front of, like, friends. Somebody either was playing. Who even knows? But either way, somebody has to know something. Come on now. Again, that number again, cold case detectives. Trust me, I know the number. It's 410-396-2100. Or you can call 1-866-7-LOCKUP. L-O-C-K-U-P. You can also submit a tip online at www.metrocrimestoppers with an S dot org. Or you can also submit a text to 443-402-4824. And again, people, you don't have to say your name. You don't have to say where you live, your address, or anything like that. You can remain anonymous. Trust me, you can remain anonymous. Somebody has to know something. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Make that call. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, bizarre episodes of true crime stories in Maryland. Also, please be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast, Maryland's Most Notorious Murderers, 1990 through 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, and the upcoming, soon-to-be-released, Maryland's Most Notorious Murderers, 2009-2020. through 2020. All of these books, as well as my other True Life books, are all available on Amazon.com in ebook or paperback fashion. Be sure to tune in next week where another high profile relationship husband wife boyfriend type murder will be profiled and examined on Maryland's most notorious murderers this has been a real life production